0: AOA is brought to you by Sinex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This
1: is AOA. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Welcome
0: to December. Thank you for joining us as we kick off a new month. Good to have you with us. Always appreciate you letting us be part of your day. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you as well. Hope you have a great holiday season. Coming up today, we're going to talk imitation meat with Danielle Beck with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. We're going to talk infrastructure as some groups are already starting to make pitches to uh, get funding for their projects we'll talk with mike steenhook executive director of the soy transportation coalition and we'll talk about the decision which is welcomed certainly by the livestock industry for that extension of uh, hours of service for truckers we'll talk with michael formica with the national pork producers council all that coming up on today's program but we're going to start it off with todd neely dtn reporter todd how are you i'm good mike how are you well uh, I'd, I'd say we're probably. In a better mood than the biofuels industry because they've seen another deadline come and go, and EPA not releasing those RVO levels as they're required to by November 30th. Here we go again.
2: Yeah, Mike, you know I I don't think this was you know unexpected, but uh, yesterday was the deadline, and we're talking about the deadline for finalizing the RFS volumes for 22. Uh, We haven't even gotten 21's RFS volumes, and so. Uh, you know, with EPA deciding to uh, extend deadlines for refiners, um, you know, it kind of leaves us all in, in no man's land right now. It's really, um, it's really a place that the, the industry's not been in. Um, it's really a bit unprecedented. You know, we've seen other administrations miss deadlines, uh, but we're talking, these deadlines are really piling up when you consider that, uh, you know, there's a potential or there's an expected reset of the RFS in 2022. Um, it, really is, uh, it really is making you wonder at this point what the agency is going to do because all of these deadlines and all these, uh, you know, all these expected actions are not happening. And so uh, you kind of think that perhaps the RFS is going to go a different direction. Uh, not really hard, you know, it's hard to say what that might be, but uh, it really has, uh, really has put things to a, an, an uh, unexpected stop.
0: I always think of three words when it comes to this follow the law and both parties, various administrations have failed to do so. They just ignore the law, the deadlines that are in the law for releasing these, uh, uh, levels. And I I, I mean, it's just so frustrating that they, they aren't held accountable for that. They're not made to follow the law.
2: Yeah, you're right, Mike. And, and the one thing, you know, when the RFS was created in, in 205, uh, and then again in 207 it was it was uh, bolstered. I I think as people were really clear on what this was. This was a this was a law designed to spark innovation to expand biofuels production in general. Um, and it and it hasn't done that. It's this law has been. I mean, we've seen expansion of the industry, no doubt. But the law uh, has come up way short of where we were expected to be at this point in time. And uh, you're right. It hasn't been followed to the letter, and uh, it really has spanned across many administrations and many different ideologies and beliefs. And uh, it's really kind of a head scratcher.
0: This administration, like others before it, have tried to find a way to appease both sides, which is nearly impossible right. to do and has proven basically impossible to do. But by taking this course of action, by not meeting the deadline, you're really favoring the oil industry because uh, they're yeah. the ones that would benefit from this.
2: Yeah. And you're right. And, you know, the other part of this too, I think, um, you know, even if the RFS uh, is kind of left in, you know, in this, word, in the spot that it's in now, uh, you know, there's still a demand for ethanol out there. It's not like, uh, you know, ethanol disappears from gasoline. Although I think some would believe that the refining industry wants to make that happen. Um but, you know, that's, that's the thing. It, the product itself has a, has a real demand, uh, but that's not what the RFS was about. The RFS was about growing that demand, and it just hasn't happened. And I think, um, you know, you're right. It does favor the oil industry because any drop of ethanol that doesn't go into to a gallon of gasoline, uh, it favors that side of the aisle, the industry, um, the oil industry in general
0: as so i mentioned earlier coming up i'm going to be talking with danielle Beck with the national Cattlemen's beef association about these imitation meat products interesting story the other day from adm that they're expanding more into plant-based protein
2: yeah you know mike they uh this uh, this was announced a while back they acquired a company called soy soya protein uh, it's a european company in serbia um, basically non-gmo ingredients and uh, there's a lot that this company does it's quite diversified in many ways. Um, but it's interesting. You know, we've seen ADM and others really expand in, into alternative proteins. But at the same time, uh, you know, kind of seeing the industry as in general starting to lose a little bit of steam. You know, I think there's a bit of saturation in some respects. A lot of, a lot of companies have come out with, uh, you know, alternative protein ideas. They're going so many different directions. And uh, this kind of comes at a time where, you know, the industry, the alternative protein industry is kind of at a Kind of at a standstill in some ways and so it, um you know adm they they uh they seem to be invested in this they seem to really be looking down the road and i think this is more of a long-term venture for them
0: yeah it's been interesting to watch this they seem to kind of go in spurts as far as um you know acceptance or excitement about their products they have their own challenges yeah. too don't they from a health standpoint from a price standpoint they've got there's their issues
2: Absolutely. You know, I, I think when you look at, uh, when you look at the protein industry in general, you know, beef is still quite popular. I mean, that's the thing. Uh, there are a lot of people, especially here where we live in the Midwest that, uh, have beef as a steady, you know, steady flow in their diet. And you're right. There's a lot of things, uh, people in general trust, you know, they trust, uh, the, the current protein uh, markets. And I think, uh, anytime you have a new uh, new player try to enter a market, there's a lot of barriers to overcome, and we're seeing that now. Like you said, price is a big deal. Uh, concerns about nutrition are always important, uh, and I don't think that's any different now.
0: Well, here we are into December. Are you starting to work on some year-end uh, pieces, uh, looking back over some of the top stories of 2021?
2: Yeah, certainly, Mike. You know, um, here at DTN, every, at the end of the year, we we put together a top 10. Uh, we've seen a lot of things going on, as you know. Um, I think, uh, I think probably one of those things is going to be the rise of input prices, particularly fertilizer. That's going to be a big story. And it seems like every year, RFS issues are right in there somewhere. And we, this has been just no different. There's just been news, news story after news story breaking on that front too. And so we're, yeah, we're taking a look back. And I think, uh, you know, people aren't going to be surprised by what they see in our top 10
0: Well, look forward to seeing your list. Thanks a lot, Todd.
2: All
0: right. Thanks much, Mike. DTN reporter Todd Neely. Don't forget the DTN Ag Summit coming up in Chicago this Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I'll be broadcasting from the Ag Summit Monday and Tuesday next week. And uh, you still have a chance. If you would like an opportunity, perhaps, to have free registration, you can go to our website at American Ag Network. Click on Adams on Agriculture, and you'll see the box to click on to get signed up. Or you can call 701-237-5000. That's 701-237-5000 for a chance to win free registration to next week's DTN Ag Summit. All right. So we've been talking about these uh, imitation meat products, whether it's plant-based or cell-based. We'll talk with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association about that next here on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Sinex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
1: I choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system because I know they've got my back. Their Spray Early Weed Control Guarantee helps me get the most out of early season applications. If I experience less than commercially acceptable performance, I'm eligible for up to $15 per acre on additional applications. That's a system I can depend on the roundup ready extend crop system see program details at sprayearlyguarantee.com guarantee is subject to program restrictions always follow pesticide label directions
3: they say if you listen hard enough you can hear the corn grow it's true when you're out in the field you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive channel seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders their knowledge inspires our product development From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit Channellistens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Each and
4: every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com. Bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day to day business decisions. Their award winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like Would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and
1: profitable.
4: Visit DTNPF.com today. 180 over
5: 111 and I had a stroke.
0: A O A is brought to you by Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils, oils that run smart.
4: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on A O A.
1: Now back to Mike Adams.
0: Well, there's uh, an important step about to be taken in this whole issue of imitation meat products, and that is the issue of labeling and how that will be addressed. Here to talk about that is Danielle Beck, Senior Executive Director, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Danielle, always good to talk with you. And this is a crucial step uh, that USDA will be making decisions on how this labeling will be done. I know that uh, your industry, the beef industry, feels very strongly about uh, labels and who can or cannot use the term beef.
6: Absolutely, Mike. NCBA has been leading the charge on this issue for several years now. I mean, our policy on the books states that the term beef should only be applicable to products derived from livestock raised by farmers and ranchers. That's pretty clear. I mean, the word beef is synonymous with a brand that our U.S. cattle producers have really worked hard to build and cultivate over, you know, centuries. Uh, And so we're looking forward to engaging with USDA. We plan to submit comments. The deadline closes tomorrow. And we know that they've been trying to figure out how they're going to regulate these lab-grown products. But uh, figuring out what they're going to be labeled as uh, and marketed as is really a critical component moving forward in terms of how our products all compete in the marketplace.
0: Do you have any indication of uh, which way they're leaning on this?
6: Uh, You know, we have called for a transparent, science-based process since day one, we think that uh, ultimately consumer information, uh, ensuring that consumers have enough accurate information in front of them so that they can make informed purchasing decisions is really critical when it comes to these product labels. Right now, it's unclear what they're going to do, but I think that's because they're looking to the public and to stakeholders for input really to inform their decision-making process moving forward. And we've got some great consumer data that we conducted this year uh, through a survey. It shows that 74% of consumers that agree that these products should be absolutely differentiated in the marketplace and at retail. And so, uh, you know, figuring out how do we work with USDA to ensure that we preserve and protect the term beef for our U.S. cattle producers is one component, but also figuring out what types of terms are going to help Really ensure that that consumer information is clear and accurate is another core component.
0: That's interesting. 74% of the consumers you've surveyed agree there should be a definitive indication of whether meat being purchased is lab-grown or conventionally produced. And I think that's significant because basically consumers are saying, they're not saying there shouldn't be these other products, but they want to know what they are buying. And if they choose a beef product, they want to know it is what they think it is when they buy it.
6: Oh, absolutely. You know, one of the the beginning portion of this survey that we conducted, though, did try and test for just general awareness. And the individuals that were selected, it was an online quantitative nationally representative survey. But in order to participate, you had to be involved in your household's grocery purchasing decisions. And so it's folks who are in the grocery store figuring out what to eat day in and day out each and every week. Uh, only about 13% of respondents were aware of cell cultured products and so even though that you know the mainstream media or the purveyors of these products really want you to believe that this is the next big thing here to displace real u.s beef uh, very few consumers actually are aware of these technologies but when given the opportunity and educated they want to see them differentiated i think another really core uh, component here is that they believe lab grown was the best term possible to differentiate. They, they thought it was an easy to understand term when provided with a definition of the pr- product and production practice.
0: There are so many products popping up now, plant-based, cell-based. Uh, do, do you think those need to be differentiated or can you just make one uh, that says beef uh, conventionally produced uh, on the farm or uh, these others uh, that you just mentioned? Do you have to break it down even more than one or the other?
6: Right. You know, I wish that we could just have a real beef and fake meat label. Uh, I think that would make life pretty easy, certainly make it easy on the consumers. But unfortunately, you know, plant-based products are regulated by FDA and they're already on the market. The way that FDA regulates their products, they have to take enforcement action after a product is already out there. And I think the damage has been done. Uh, Cell cell culture, cell based, uh, synthetic lab grown, whatever you want to call it. Um, those products are not yet on the market, but we know that all the labeling for them is going to be decided by USDA. We also, in our survey, looked at, you know, should blended products, if it's a cell-based and, you know, plant-based fake meat product hybrid, uh, should that be labeled clearly? And across the board, consumers want to see differentiation between anything that's not real meat and real beef. Um, So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out, but I I think there does we will have to see some nuances, uh, like it or not, in terms of how every different product is labeled. And hopefully, you know, whatever decisions are made now will allow for longevity because we know that food technology continues to evolve and newer and newer products continue to enter the market. And we really need some solid standards put in place that will preserve beef's brand uh, and ensure appropriate consumer information for the long run, not just for, you know, the, the short time being
0: we're talking with Danielle Beck with NCBA. Danielle, if USDA doesn't make these uh, clear distinctions in the labeling, then it, they're basically saying all these products are the same and that's not the case.
6: Absolutely. You know, and there are some pretty significant ramifications there. We still don't know a lot about these products because they haven't been made publicly available for the scientific community that you know, really vet and test. Um, you know, ultimately, consumers want to know what it is that they're buying. And I think if you look at beef demand, you, you know beef is a product that consumers love, they want on their plates. Uh, there's a lot of um, speculation, I think, or hesitancy, would be fair to say, when it comes to um, really innovative food technologies and what it is that you eat each and every night. Um, you know, meat is a scientific process. Uh, and you I don't. I have a lot of questions about whether or not you can replicate that in the laboratory environment. But consumers deserve the right to choose between um, whether they're purchasing novel or conventional, uh, and that that information is really important. But we have some really strong support for that on Capitol Hill. We've seen a host of different labeling battles and uh, legislation play across the states, and so um, you know we're confident that USDA wants to be a strong partner in terms of. Uh, appropriate labeling of products and it, we know that across the states there's a lot of support for that as well.
0: This is very similar to what's happening with dairy and all these imitation milk products that are out there on the market and the dairy industry's been fighting this for some time, you know, trying to protect the the name, the brand milk and that there's a difference between Uh, traditionally produced milk from a cow and all these other products that are out there. They've been fighting this battle for years and years. Are you concerned that this could drag out like that?
6: You know, one of the reasons that we have advocated since day one for USDA jurisdiction is because we wanted to avoid the situation the dairy industry finds themselves in today. You know, I mentioned this earlier, but FDA takes enforcement action on misbranded products after they've entered the market and the damage has been done. And that's why we see, you know, dairy in a decades long struggle. USDA, on the other hand, they have a mandatory pre-approval pro- process for all product labels. And so legally, before a product can enter the market, that label term has to have the stamp of approval from USDA. We'll have an opportunity on the front end to ensure that we get it done right the first time, not after the fact. We don't want to be playing catch-up here. And so, you know, we think that USDA is best positioned uh, in- in terms of, I think, ensuring clear consumer information, um, but they're also going to be moving through a public rulemaking process. This is an advanced notice of proposed rulemaking in which they're seeking comments, but we know that there will be plenty of um, additional opportunities for us to engage when they do enter that formal rulemaking stage.
0: The times in which we live, I guess, for some of us old enough, we we couldn't have ever imagined that this would be a debate or an issue. What is milk? What, What is beef? But that's what it's come down to. And you have to define it and you have to label these products as such.
6: Absolutely. You know, if we uh, ever get to a point in time in which we are truly living in the jetsons, uh, the decisions that USDA makes now are really going to be critically important. And so we uh, we're looking to them to be leaders in this conversation because they're setting the tone for the rest of the world, honestly.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a very important issue for sure, uh, not only for the in your case, the beef industry for producers, but for consumers as well, that uh, uh need to know what it is, what that product is that they are they are purchasing. All right. Thank you, Danielle. We'll look forward to watching this uh, proceed. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mike. Danielle Beck, Senior Executive Director, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Obviously, there's value in that name milk or that in that name beef. And uh, when consumers purchase a product, they need to be able to know for sure, with some certainty what that product is, where it came from. So that's why these labeling issues are so important. Well, the money in the infrastructure bill that's been passed, there'll be decisions made on how that is going to be used. And some are already making their sales pitch now to get some of that money. We'll talk about it with Mike Steenhook with the Soy Transportation Coalition next on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
1: Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's gotta earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return. And success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer. As you
4: wrap up Harvest and prepare for the 2022 season, get a jump start by attending the DTN Ag Summit. This in-person event will be held December 5th through the 7th in Chicago at the Fairmont Hotel. Learn from agricultural thought leaders, including Ambassador Terry Branstead and John Deere lead economist Galia Barr and much, much more. Get your tickets today at DTN.com backslash Ag Summit.
7: You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rall. The USDA will release their October monthly soybean crush report at 2 p.m. Central Time today. The average trade estimate is 195.6 million bushels. This would be significantly larger than the 164.1 million bushels crushed last month and near last year's all-time crush record of 196.6 million bushels. The U.S. forecast continues to look mostly quiet today. The eastern Corn Belt may receive some light rain and or mixed precipitation but forecast totals are light. There may also be snow around the Great Lakes and mixed precipitation continues in the Pacific Northwest. On the board of trade, December corn trading five and a half cent higher at 5.72 and a half cent. The March contract up five and a half cent at 5.73. For soybeans, January contract up six and three quarters at 12.24. The March contract up a nickel at 12.31 and three quarters. For wheat, Chicago wheat December up eight and a half cent at 7.82 and a fraction. Kansas City wheat December down a penny and a half cent at 8.17 and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat December unchanged at 10.20. The March contract up four and a quarter of a cent at 10 15 In cash cattle country, a few bids are on the table in parts of Texas this morning, but those bids are going to have to improve substantially if they are to meet current asking prices of around $143 plus in the south. Northern asking prices are still not fully established. Packer inquiry should improve as the day progresses. Beef cutouts are expected to be lower with light to moderate box movement. December live cattle trading $1. five higher at $136.92 February, up $1.15. At one thirty nine oh five for feeder cattle, the January contract up forty five at one sixty five thirty. The March contract up eighty seven at one sixty seven thirty seven. In lean hogs, the February contract down thirty seven at seventy nine fifty five. The April contract down fifty seven at eighty four sixty seven. You are listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rahl.
5: I'm Kirsten the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed.
2: My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual, and uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was
3: very concerned. It was very unsettling for her important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you
5: and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash our stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council.
0: AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
4: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike
0: Adams. All right, so the infrastructure bill's passed. So now it comes down to decisions on how that money's going to be spent. Well, there's a group of farm organizations that's offering a million dollars toward pre-engineering and design expenses for an important component of the ag supply chain. That would be Lock and Dam number 25 on the Mississippi River. Here to talk about that is Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, thanks for joining us again. Tell us about why this particular project is so critical and about this effort uh, to try to get the monies uh, secured to get the project done.
8: Well, you know the way I like to describe it is so many of these Lock and Dam projects, particularly on the Upper Mississippi River and then also on the Illinois River, people have been talking about them for a long time, and there's a lot of scar tissue uh, in all, among all these groups because there's been this long advocacy, but there hasn't been a lot of outcomes. So the way I like to describe it is they've been been perpetually on the arm deck circle, and we think it's time for them to move to the batter's box and Particularly, there's this this collection of projects that we would like to see occur. It's called the Navigation and Ecosystem Sustainability Program, or the NESP program, and it calls for the creation of a a construction of a number of locks and dams on the Upper Mississippi River and the Illinois River. Uh, the, The first project in that queue would be Lock and Dam 25, and it's just about 45 miles north of St. Louis. And then there's one in Illinois, and then another one on the Upper Mississippi River that would follow suit. But this lock in M25 is the first one. And so, given the fact that we're in this position where, as you said, there's been some funding allocated with this infrastructure bill, but we need to make sure that that funding will be directed to these specific projects. And so, as a result, a group of farmer organizations have decided to offer a million dollars Help underwrite some of the costs of that pre-engineering and design associated with that lock and M25, provided that it gets that green light. So it's a real effort to put our shoulder fully into this to make sure this project becomes a reality. It's time for some for some actual movement on some of these lingering infrastructure projects.
0: So when these decisions are made, they can look at some. Okay, here's here's a, a group that's we're willing to put a million dollars in on this. So actually, you're saying. We're going to help you, federal government, leverage those dollars that you have to get this work done.
8: Yeah, it it, and it really is a commitment by these farmer organizations. You know, the United Soybean Board and the Soy Transportation Coalition and a number of uh, other farmer organizations from Iowa, Illinois, Missouri, and Minnesota that have all said, "Hey, we're so committed to being to remaining the most competitive farmers in the international marketplace. We're willing to put some of our money." Uh, where our mouth is, and really help encourage this project receiving that green
0: light. Yeah, as stakeholders, you're saying we're we're involved in this. We're willing to put our money into it. We we have skin in the game, and and we're we're trying to help make this happen. Uh, Mike, you talked about how long these things have been needed, and ag groups have been pushing for. You know, I'm about to wrap up a 48 year career, and it seems like through that whole 48 years, I've been talking about and hearing about the need to update locks and dams.
8: Yeah. You know, and it's, it, you know, it for, for many, many years, you know, Chicago Cubs fans would say, well, next year is the year. This year is the year and this year never happened, but there was a time where actually this year did indeed happen. And it was just a handful of years ago where they won the world series. And we were very hopeful that something can actually happen this year. You know, we've had some progress and some, certainly some base hits and some doubles as of late with new funding for rehab work and that was all necessary. But some of these projects, these, this new construction that agriculture and, and the, the barge and towing industry and others have been advocating for for years, it still remains uh, still a, a desire. And, and we're very hopeful that this could be the year um, to actually see some of this work done. So the funding, has, the funding is available with the infrastructure bill that was passed we need to make sure it gets directed to that, some of these specific projects on the upper Mississippi River and the
0: Illinois River. Yeah, this does seem to be the closest we've been to getting some of these projects actually accomplished, uh, the closest we've been in a long, long time, but it shows it's a competitive situation and uh, there, there are a lot of different projects out there and people calling for those funds to be used for different things
8: yeah and you know one of the things that you know i just observed is you know even though you're you're optimistic that something will happen you as a constituent group uh, that's the time to not take your foot off the pedal it's to maintain your foot on the pedal it's it's time to run through the tape you don't stop right in front of the finish line so this is this is something that we're really intent on doing uh over these next particularly this this next month will be really, month and a half will be really important to really make
0: sure we're conveying this message. Yeah, we've been hopeful before, only to be disappointed when it was all said and done. We're talking with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, last time we talked, uh, you you were very hopeful that we'll see some of this uh, money being put to use and these projects getting started in the coming year. Do you still feel optimistic about that?
8: You know, I, I am optimistic. I think with some of these you know lock and dam projects that we've we've been talking about, and there's also certainly you know road and bridge projects uh, that uh, in rural areas that I think will be will be very important. Um, but again, it's you know it's as you mentioned, it's one thing to have the funding available; it's another thing to make sure that funding is directed to specific investments that are meaningful to you as that as a farmer and agriculture more broadly. And so that's really the phase that we're in. And so it just really is incumbent upon all agricultural stakeholders and beyond to really making sure that, again, we're we're running through the tape. We don't stop in front of the finish line.
0: Okay, so the groups are putting this million dollars, offering this million dollars for this and put together a video. Who do you have to convince? Is it the Army Corps of Engineers or who?
8: It's really the, the the administration more broadly, but specifically the Army Corps of Engineers, the Office of Management and Budget. Um, that's really where the message is going to be directed, and so you know, member of, members of Congress who are representative represent these states that would that would benefit from these lock and end projects on the Upper Mississippi River and Illinois River. They're they're increasingly they have been engaged and increasingly are being engaged to really help convey this message as well. They're going to be really key.
0: And to show how long this could take, um, we've talked about this before too, even once you start a project like this, it takes a while. Let's look at the Lock and Dam 25. How long would that take once you, once they started on a project like that?
8: Yeah. You know, once if the core receives the the green light to move forward, we, we would anticipate, at least they would, they project that they could have work done, you know, within a six, seven, eight month period of time to actually see some work occurring on it now. You know, it all depends upon do you maintain that, sustain that funding, you know, throughout to make sure the project actually gets completed. But they are very expensive projects and they do require multiple years uh, to actually complete. But, you know, the key is getting that funding to start it and also to sustain it. That's going to be very key.
0: So if this is your top project, what are some of the others that you're also hopeful could get done?
8: Well, for the for locks and dams, you've got you know that lock and dam 25, and then there's this one on the Illinois River called LaGrange and then lock and dam 24, which is further north of that. But then you know moving beyond that, with you know, there's there's a lot of operations and maintenance work uh, throughout the whole inland waterway system that is important on some of the other rivers, and then you know of course with things like our our rural roads and bridges, this the funding. Will be a lot of that funding will be provided from the federal government, but it'll be administered by state departments of transportation. And so there's going to be a lot of interface that's going to be needed between agriculture and state DOTs to make sure that some of that money that's going to be flowing to these states doesn't just fall disproportionately to urban areas, but also is shared with rural
0: areas. Uh, why? I guess I'm concerned. I'm going to say why am I so concerned? Well, I guess because of all the years we've watched this before. I'm concerned about red tape and bureaucracies and <laughs> regulations and uh, slowing all this down.
8: That, and and that's part of that scar tissue, you know, that we many of us in agriculture have because we have been disappointed before and and intentions haven't become outcomes. So it's it's very important to make sure that we're keeping foot to the pedal that we're remaining engaged with these various decision-makers. Um, it's not a one-time activity, it needs to be a sustained, perpetual activity of that engagement and that insistence that uh, that, that funding actually provides some benefit to us and doesn't just fall to someone else. So that's going to be the real key. It's going to be a lot of that shoe leather um, work that, that uh, is required to really make sure that these things become a reality.
0: Yeah, and showing these public officials that funding a project like Lock and Dam 25, for instance, how wide, how broad that benefit would be to, for that money to be spent on that project. How many people benefit from something like that?
8: You know, it's certainly. And you talk about, you know, pretty much any bushel of corn or soybeans uh, that gets loaded from a, on the river, on the Mississippi River, from a state like Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, Missouri, Illinois. Um is gonna go through that, that particular lock. And you know, if you have a failure at that facility, it's not like you know when you kayak or canoe, you can just portage around the obstacle. That traffic will stop. And so it's really important to have that new construction so that it becomes more efficient going through that particular site. But then also you have a second lock that will that now pro- provide some resiliency and redundancy. Say if one of those locks were to have a mechanical issue, you can still allow traffic to proceed. So that's one of the things that we're we're really mentioning. And we've had a lot of examples throughout this year of infrastructure problems that have caused a real foot down impact. We don't want this to happen with this particular
0: facility. Well, we're close. Let's, uh, as you said, can't let up. Got to keep pushing to get it over the finish line. Thanks, Mike, for the update. Thank you, Mike. Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Up next, we'll talk with the National Pork Producers Council about that extension of hours of service for truckers. Next on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Sinex Premium Diesel. Sinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
5: What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? A medical chart
1: is not your identity.
5: And vision loss does not define you.
3: Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage.
1: An advocate for hope.
3: You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We
5: drive the research for the cures we are finding.
1: Why do I plant NK seeds? Because every seed's an investment, and I don't gamble on my farm. Out here, every seed's gotta earn its acre. That's why I need corn and soybeans that deliver the results I expect. And it's why I always make room for elite performers from NK. Because every investment owes me a return, and success matters. Find your local NK retailer at nkseeds.com retailer.
0: Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
4: As you wrap up harvest and prepare for the 2022 season, get a jump start by attending the DTN Ag Summit. This in-person event will be held December 5th through the 7th in Chicago at the Fairmont Hotel. Learn from agricultural thought leaders, including Ambassador Terry Branstead and John Deere lead economist Galia Barr and much, much more. Get your tickets today at dtn.com backslash ag summit.
1: Ag retailers, co-ops, and custom applicators have enormous productivity requirements. With thousands of acres of fertilizer to apply in a short window of time, they don't have time to make mistakes in the field. Intelligent Ag's Recon Spread Sense is the first ag technology that monitors the flow of product on floaters. The technology identifies flow issues to avoid streaks in the field that can hurt yield potential. Reduce the risk of misapplication by investing in Recon Spread Sense. Never doubt what you're putting out. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend Max herbicide with VaporGrip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system. The system of choice. Extendamax Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide-label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state.
3: They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions.
0: AOA is brought to you by Synex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart.
4: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA.
1: Now,
0: back to Mike Adams. The Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration has extended a waiver from its hours of service regulation to certain commercial truck drivers. The latest extension will run through the end of February of next year. Here to talk about this is Michael Formica, Assistant Vice President and General Counsel for the National Pork Producers Council. Michael, good to talk with you again. This is certainly good news, isn't it?
9: Yeah, thanks, Mike. It's great to talk with you. This is uh, uh, much uh bring much needed relief and is, is very good news as you stated uh something we're thrilled the biden administration has agreed with us on uh, and is going to continue this this waiver as the country you know con- continues to struggle with the covid pandemic we need to keep animals moving we need to keep feeding people
0: explain for our listeners again why this is such an important move
9: sure that's a great question mike Um, So in the early days of the COVID pandemic, uh, one of the first things before we knew about, um, you know, line speed issues that were popping up, before we knew that we would have plants um, shutting down and would need to begin redirecting um, shipments of of live hogs so so farmers could continue to market their hogs. Um, One of the first things we did uh, as we saw this emerging was we reached out to uh, the Department of Transportation. For you know, for years we've been engaged with them on trying to find some flexibility and relief in the hours of service rules. There's very strict limits on how long a driver can um, can drive a commercial vehicle, can drive a truck um, before they have to take a rest period and then have um, uh, you know time off. So uh, 10 hours, they can drive for 11 hours, they can be on the clock for 14 hours, then they have to stop pull over and, you know, go go to sleep for, for at least 10 hours. And if you have a shipment of live hogs um, or, or of cattle or, or any other livestock, that's going to be an issue if you don't make it to your final destination. And so we knew um, if, you know, if drivers were going to have to have longer loads, um, we wanted some relief so we could ensure those, those deliveries got made. And they, you know, the Trump administration granted that. Uh, it has been renewed., um, but as the Covid pandemic has gone on, um, you know certainly activist groups out there continue to push back against us on this. And so uh, we have uh, you know we've continued to engage with the Biden administration and uh, and they listened to us and they uh, they agreed and uh, and have extended this uh, this waiver for us uh, once more.
0: So it's obviously important when you're hauling live animals. It's also important for, uh, hauling, say livestock feed, right to the farm.
9: It, it, well, sir, we've got we got to move the the animals to the plants so we can process them and have food for people. But you're absolutely right; you also need to be able to move the feed from you know from the field to the farm so you can feed your animals. It's a it's, it's a it's a closed loop system, um, and you know and these are you know these are living living creatures you can't simply it, it, you're not making you're not making sneakers you can't just simply shut the the you know the production down uh you have to feed these animals and so yes that's uh, that that's a vital part of this being able we're to talk- feed them
0: yep we're talking with michael formica with the national pork producers council michael was there anything in the infrastructure bill that just recently passed that would address this issue as well
9: Sure, and so where the issue first came up for us, where, where we learned about it a few years ago, was an effort to stick um, a, a, a electronic black boxes that would record um, all of the driving activity of drivers. Uh, these uh, ELDs, and there's a lot of security risks with them. Um, they they require them, they want to require them for all truck drivers. Um, they're really not applicable, they're not, not designed well um, with regard to hauling livestock, and sort of the the, the paces that a, a driver hauling um, livestock would have would have to go through and deal with. Um, there are you know, a number of factors that you know, somebody in agriculture, um, different regulatory issues that that come up that the the, the ELDs on the market uh, weren't designed and don't don't account for and so we first started getting involved in the hours of service debate over over that and we found out that these rules are very you know they're very rigid, very inflexible and while they provide some exemptions early on if you've got a long distance haul um, you you're you're going to travel, you know, 10 hours to make a delivery or travel there and back because you want to get home um, you run into problems and so it, it becomes a problem in finding drivers. People don't want to be on the road for multiple days. It becomes a problem in making that delivery and ensuring you can get those animals to their final destination. And in the, so in the infrastructure bill, uh, they have Congress has granted us an additional exemption. And so you now have um, 150 air mile radius, around the source of the agricultural commodity so if you pick up a load of hogs um, you can drive within uh, you know 150 mile um, radius so a a 300 mile circle around the farm and the hours that would be considered local and the hours of service rules wouldn't apply to you if you're on a long distance haul and your your hours are about to run out and you're an hour away from the from the destination we don't want you to just stop we want you to make it all the way we don't want you to speed to try and to, to not run out of your hours so Congress said we will give you an additional exemption at the back end so if you're again within 150 miles of the final destination uh, you now have the flexibility to continue on to that final destination to make you know, to make that run and and deliver your cargo deliver your load of animals
0: these are important issues that a lot of people a lot of consumers aren't really aware of or realize how it impacts them so uh, these these are critical uh when we talk about supply chain issues here's part of it michael as always thank you so much good to talk with you again
9: thank you Mike.
8: eat
0: more bacon uh, all right michael Formica, assistant vice president and general counsel for the national pork producers council that wraps it up for today have a great day everyone hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA AOA is brought to you by Synex premium diesel Synex premium diesel diesel that doesn't mess around
7: Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today.